Welcome to the 14th episode of the Squadron's Pirate Radio podcast. I'm your co-host, Michaela Sani, along with General Manager Scott King. And joining us today is Royal Canadian Air Force pilot, Captain Mike Evans. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me. Good to be here. Absolute pleasure, Captain Mike. Um, talk us through your early days, Mike. Was, uh, was, was flying always something that was on the cards for you, or how did that all come about? Uh, yeah, so... Uh... <laughs> I've been going to air shows since I was a little kid. My dad used to be a big aviation enthusiast. And uh, so I really got the aviation bug early. And um, I started flying actually when I was uh, 14. And, but you can't solo until you're 16. So within two weeks of my 16th birthday, I had my driver's license, my motorcycle license, and my pilot's license. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, uh, I knew that aviation was going to be my career. Um, my family has a, uh, also, uh, history in aviation, uh, being pilots and whatever. So, yeah, I, I knew that was in the cards for me. A triple threat there. All the licenses. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you and, transition from sky to sea? Um, so uh, I've flown a lot of different airplanes and helicopters in our uh, military. And um, with the, uh, the naval aviation aspect of it, the Air Force owns the uh, aircraft. Uh, but it gets deployed with the Navy. So the Air Force has uh, operational command of the uh, asset, but the Navy has control of it. Uh, so we loan our airplanes and pods to the Navy uh, for their purposes. So that's how you end up working for the Navy. And yeah, my eight-year-old self, Mike, is going to have to ask you what the coolest thing that you've flown is. <laughs> oh, well, it's funny because most people would say uh, like a fighter jet would be the coolest thing they've ever flown. And it is for the first few times. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, but um, really, though, for me, uh, helicopters are just the coolest thing ever. They, they just defy every aspect of logic and physics and everything. And, and somehow you manage to fly them. They're very challenging. They're dynamically unstable. And the missions that you get put into in situations in the helicopter aren't like anything else in aviation. So I'd have to say a helicopter. Yeah, and some of those big sort of um, like the Blackhawks and choppers like that, we, used to, we, we see them a lot flying around in Sydney uh, back home. Um, right. they're, very, they're very cool. I always like those. Yeah, yeah. They're a lot of fun. Very challenging to fly. To. I, I love it. So I flew the Sea King here in Halifax, and that's what I, I – uh, that was my first posting was flying Sea Kings here, actually. And, um, uh, yeah, and that's how I ended up in Halifax. I, I, I was actually in a jet going from one place to another. And I had to get fuel here in Halifax. And I got off the airplane for all of not even half an hour. And the, all the people I met here were the happiest people I've ever met. I love the smell of the ocean air. That was at Shearwater. And I just said, man, I got to come back here. This is where I want to be. And I've never left. So you're from Ontario, Mike, originally. Um, and you started sailing nine years old, I understand. Yeah, I think it was about nine years old. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I started at a young age. But honestly, I, sometimes I think that... Um, uh, my parents found a daycare system that would take me all day, and that's how I ended up in sailing. <laughs> <laughs> so talk us through those early experiences. Uh, okay, so um, I lived in Burlington. Of course, like the, there is a Burlington Yacht Club, and there's a Brownie Harbor Yacht Club. The Brownie Harbor Yacht Club just happened to be closer to our house. So I'd run my bike there and uh, you know hang out with all the other kids. It was quite a, a, a club, though, uh, I must say. You know, it wasn't the most uh, well-funded uh, youth sailing program. Uh, we're, we were surrounded by Royal Hamilton, Royal Canadian Yacht Club in Toronto, and all the other various things in Oakville and Port Credit. With, you know, good programs. But 
we were uh, very kind of, you know, we used older boats. We used albacores and all the other kids were using 420s and stuff like that. But we, you know, we fought really hard with those boats and learned it very quickly. There were no male and female divisions in those days either. So uh, the women uh, were expected to be as good as the men. And most of the time they were better because they were more dedicated. And uh, so you didn't end up with these kinds of divisions that you see sometimes in today's sailing. Um, that led to more and more competition because um, we would often have inner club competitions between Royal Hamilton and Royal Canadian or whoever. And uh, we would sail an albacore from Bronte over to Hamilton. And then we'd either use the, their boats or our boats. And we always did very well. We usually uh, predominated actually uh, with those clubs. And it was all to do, I think, with just the character of uh, how you sailing was treated at our club. Mike, do you think there's a difference, you know, learning to sail uh, on the Great Lakes as opposed to here on the Northwest Arm? Or do you think it's pretty comparable in terms of the elements? It's comparable in terms of the temperature of the water. Lake Ontario is actually a very cold lake. Um, so uh, un until like August or something like that. But um, initially, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a deep lake. It's the deepest of the Great Lakes. So it, it, it retains its chilliness in, until the summer. But um, in terms of the sea state, the Lake Ontario can be quite a rough lake. If you get an easterly going there, um, it becomes quite a swell by the time it gets to Hamilton. And, uh, you know, you're expected to go out in that. Just like I see Augustine taking the kids out from our club in all weather, I think that's a huge advantage in you sailing. Uh, it makes kids realize that, uh, you know, the water's unforgiving and, uh, you know, it, it makes you a, a better and tougher sailor. Actually, interesting um, small segue here. So my mother-in-law was a, was a stewardess for a long time with, um, with Air Canada. Um, back in the whenever it was and she said that the and I don't know if this is true but I'm going to ask you because you would know that um, the maritime pilots were actually renowned in Canada as being some of the best pilots because of the weather conditions that they had to um, regularly combat um, do you think there's any truth to that and is that the same with sailing oh I absolutely believe that um, most people don't know that uh, the Halifax airport uh, is one of the few uh, airports in Canada that has the highest certification for instrument landing systems. Uh, that's mainly because of the weather we get here. Um, and uh, also, the, oftentimes here in Nova Scotia, there's like a, what we call a low-level jet at about uh, anywhere from 1,000 to 2,000 feet. And you have to fly through that as a pilot constantly here, where you've got this, uh, I don't know, 60 or 80 knot you know, jet of wind just coming through in a very narrow altitude band. And if you come out of that the wrong way, things can get uh, drastic very quickly. So all pilots know it here, but we always build it into our approach methodology and everything like that. So, yeah, I, I absolutely believe that, that uh, pilots who fly in tougher weather are inevitably better pilots overall. Yeah, I guess the same can be said for, for as you said, with all taking out the kids in all weather conditions, you know, being a bit rougher than potentially other places. Yeah. So speaking of tough sailors, how did you become a member of the Canadian military sailing team? It's very interesting. Uh, well, that was, uh, yeah, that was interesting. Um, so, uh I had an instructor of mine uh, back in the day and uh, he, we were just talking and he uh, found out I knew like a little bit about sailing. And uh, he, um, he said, well, you know, there's a military sailing team and I had no idea. Um, and he said, you should come race with me. So we went racing at that time. I was posted here in Halifax and uh, we they flew us all out to Victoria and we did a, a trial with a bunch of boats for the military sailing team and we won it. Um, and then uh, we competed uh, just uh, nationally. I don't think uh, it got funded that year to go international, but that's where he learned about it initially. And then um, now that I knew about it, I said, okay, well, I can enable this. And uh, I've always kept in touch with it somehow. So that led to, um, you know, being involved with 
various competitions. Uh, I tried to um, leverage our club's uh, assets with the military and get them to pay for stuff that so helps fund our club. Uh, and that uh, ended up being things like the military fleet championship here. When we had a, a NATO fleet in the harbor, um, I organized a, a yacht race using our J-22s. And, of course, all those guys, especially especially those dirty Australians, they get that <laughs> on me. And they, they knew that I was the, the hometown guy. And, they, and instead of, uh, you know, one-on-one racing, it was like three-on-one. <laughs> That's how we fought. That's how we That's fought. right. They're they're really good sailors though, and I was I was lucky to get that. I was lucky to win that. I won it by like a tenth of a boat length, sort of thing. So yeah, that was fun. Let me talk through how you landed in Halifax, literally. But how did you uh, how did you end up with the squadron? Uh, so uh, I I end up here in Halifax. I got my posting and all that, and uh, within three weeks of being here, and I'm just about to start the course on this Seeking helicopter. Um, I met the Shearwater Air Show where I met my wife. So I was only here three weeks and I met my future wife. <laughs> and then uh, about, I don't know, two or three weeks later, um, I'm getting settled and trying to find uh, all the right stuff like you'd normally do anywhere you'd move to, like, you know, your mortgage broker, your, uh, your financial people, whoever you want to get, you know, your life started with. So I go to this mutual fund show and um, I'm sitting there and, and I'm talking away to this guy and he's uh, representing some mutual fund company. And then I kind of looked at him and, and uh, we, we did a little stream and it talked about mutual funds. And then uh, I go, yeah, you know what? I, I, like I moved here, but I really want to get back into sailing. Do you know anybody? And he goes, yeah, what are you doing um, t- two nights from now? Or was it three nights from now? And I said, oh, I don't know. He goes, why don't you come racing with us? And I said, perfect. Where? And he says, well, that the Royal Nova Scotia Yacht Squadron. And I said, oh, is that that place over? Yeah, that was Rob Gale. <laughs> so I ended up uh, racing on the CNC 37R with Binky Wirtz and Rob Gale and Moto and John Roy that first Wednesday uh, of the race week series. And, uh, and I, I never looked back. That was uh, in 1989, I believe. And, uh, yeah, so I raced on that boat for a couple of years and then started moving around uh, to different uh, events here. But I was also in and out of the country a lot because uh, I was um, actively deployed military. So in that time, uh, you know, I, I did a lot of deployments. I did uh, um, the Persian Gulf War. I did uh, Somalia, Bosnia, Haiti. So I, I was bouncing in and out of Halifax, like, and I'd be here a month gone for four months or something like that. Uh, I don't know how my wife put up with me over that time, but <laughs> anyway, uh, so it was hard for me to commit to a regular program, uh, but I, I did as much as I could to be part of uh, the club and racing here. And had quite a lot of success with that, with that crew of reprobates on that. Boat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're good sailors. All those guys. Yeah. must've formed a, a good team. Can you talk us through what's important from that aspect to be a successful race team? Oh yeah. I mean, y- you can, um, you can try to win, uh, you know, things, but if you don't have a, a, the support of your team and I mean, full support of your team, it's impossible. Sailing is just such a team sport uh, amongst, uh, you know, all the great team sports. But I see a lot in common with uh, the military, actually, because the military, to be successful in it, you have to manage all your small party tasks and, you know, build to a, a higher success with everything that you do. And I see the same thing in sailing where if you don't have all those little things right, uh, you're never going to get uh, first to the finish. Um, and, and if you don't figure out why you've done it wrong, you're never going to get there. So you have to engage your team. You can't just order people around and, or worse. I see p- some people in boats yelling at each other, and that's just terrible. That's never going to win. Um, so you have to you know, calmly approach it and say, okay, we did that wrong. What, how do we change it? How do we get faster? 
Yeah, we had Peter Wickwire on the program and he talked a lot about, you know, sort of, um, I mean, my words, not his, but embracing failure. Like you really need to be prepared to just go on that journey of just sail and just learn from, from mistakes constantly. Oh, so that's such a good point. Yeah. I mean, if you think you're going to come out of the box and just get first place, I mean, and there is an arms war aspect to uh, sailing where, you know, you just buy every fast piece of kit you can. And sometimes that works, but I've always found that if you don't, uh, embrace that failure and manage your team. And uh, remember, these are people that are volunteering to come with you. Uh, they're t- spending their time to come with you. And uh, it's, it's so important to remember that because they're, you know, they want to be with your, with you as a, whatever program you're organizing and you have to uh, value that. And it, I just can't stress how important that is. It's a really great way to look at it. Um, you know, it, it really is a team collaboration uh, on board. And uh, you've participated in some pretty major racing circuits. So is there one that stands out for you? Uh, well, recently it would be uh, China Cup, uh, of course, because like that's, that's just so crazy. Uh, you know, you go halfway across the world and uh, you end up on the, on the start line in this 30-boat fleet of Benito 40.7s that are, you know, completely outfitted for you. Uh, and... Uh, Little old me, I get to represent Canada, but literally, I, I'm surrounded by paid pro crews uh, all around me. And uh, I think uh, two years ago, I won the top amateur boat, and I was like in 15th place or something like that. <laughs> but uh, the, the speed that those pros, because that's all they do, you know, they, they all they do is go around the world sailing, and and, and it shows how good they are, and uh, the speed difference they get because of how they manage their team, how they, uh, you know, mind you, a lot of these guys are paid, but. Uh, it's still so impressive even just to get to the start line with these guys. It, it's absolutely wild. It sounds like every time you go out on the water, it's always a, a humbling experience. You know, uh, you never really know what you're going to get uh, either offshore or inshore in a race. I would say that I'm lucky and uh, there is an aspect of luck, but I believe luck is something that happens when preparation and opportunity combine. Um, so I've always been ready to engage anything that fell into my lap. Uh, and I've been really lucky with that. But a lot of that luck um, has come from my relationships with people that I've built over the years. Um, some of that started uh, here in Nova Scotia and, and transcended to higher levels. Um, I, a lot of it's the people I'm, I've met along the way that have also enabled me. Um, when I look around our club, for instance, I look at uh, you know guys like Evan Petley Jones, John Roy, Rob Gale, uh, Ed Steves, Matt Murphy, um, you know uh, Leslie Taylor. Uh, Leslie's been my uh, right-hand person on my boat for years. Uh, she is absolutely probably top two or three uh, of the sailors here in, in Nova Scotia. Unbelievable, her skill level, she's unstoppable. Um, but uh, building on those relationships has really helped me. And at the top of that list would be Frank Denis, who's the um, executive director uh, for um, Sail Nova Scotia. He keeps uh, tabs on all kinds of things internationally, nationally, here in the province and everything. He's just such a great resource for us. Um, and this, uh, my journey in Asia, for instance, started with him um, kind of finding this uh, competition in Korea back in 2010, I think it was, uh, where they needed a, a, a partner of uh, people to go racing over in um, South Korea in this crazy race called Korea Cup. And so Matt Stokes and I, a great sailor here from Nova Scotia, um, we ended up going, and because I got exposed to that uh, regatta, I met a bunch of people at it, and it just expanded into a whole pile of other regattas over there. Um, it's the wild, wild west over there a, a little bit. You know, like, I, I 
pick on Australia, but Australia and New Zealand are very, very well organized. Uh, sailing is a major sport there. They have America's Cup experience. But watch China. Dong Feng just won the Volvo race, uh, you know, what, a year ago, two years ago. Um, you know, Chinese entry, they had two stops in the Volvo race. Uh, their youth program is incredible. Uh, they have a high school dedicated just to sailing. So they've got 2,000 kids in a high school that after grade uh, eight or nine, I think it is, all, they learn a little bit of education, but primarily sailing. And they are up and coming, and they push every boundary of the rule book uh, to win. So watch that space. And if they just sort of popped out of nowhere, China is a competitive country? They're coming. Um, they're, uh, they're not, it's funny because like they have a, they're a maritime country, but, um, like not a lot of Chinese people know how to swim, for instance, which I found baffling. Uh, but, uh, they, uh, like they're coming, they're putting a ton of money into that. Anything that's, uh, involves, uh, you know, wealthy sports, like equestrian F F1 sailing, uh, they're, they want to be part of it and they want to be a world leader and they are applying serious money to building marinas over there investing in um, racing campaigns, trying to get bigger boats with more people and more experience. It's uh, I'd say they're, uh, if not the world leader, they're certainly up there. So Mike, obviously a big day yesterday. Um, and obviously we're recording this on Friday afternoon, uh, Friday morning, sorry, but uh, yesterday on Thursday at noon, the, they dropped the bomb with the, um, with the bubble bursting. So Killboat's ra- Killboat Racing is back after we, we thought that wouldn't be possible this year. Um, just talk us through your thoughts about where we are and where the province is in terms of racing and sailing. Sure. Um, so I, I, I'm sitting on the on the board of uh, Sail Nova Scotia as the director of governance. So yeah, we've been um, central to uh, you know the pandemic issue and how it relates to yacht racing. Um, I, I, to say that we've been sensitive to sailors' needs in, in this would be an understatement. I know some people have been upset with uh, how uh, Sail Nova Scotia and the clubs have dealt with this just because nobody likes to be told what to do mainly. Uh, but, uh, you know, the reality is, is that we have a pandemic on our hands and we have a uh, uh, moral and ethical responsibility to deal with things in our sport as people would expect. Um, I think that Sail Nova Scotia has absolutely risen uh, to the performance level that it needed to once again. And I'll go back to uh, Frank Denis as doing, uh, Frank Dennis, excuse me, as doing a, a fantastic job. His, he's been in that job now for, I think, 13 years. And his ability to leverage um, relationship contacts within the government uh, has really, really helped us. I mean, there's, um, I believe, 15 sport boards in Nova Scotia right now. And only six of them are, you know, got back into their sport uh, like we did, you know, Stanley being one of them. Other sports uh, have not, didn't have the governance in place, didn't have the uh, directors in place, didn't have the people or the process or the paperwork uh, to be able to go at it like we did. And our communication flows uh, with the rear Commodores have really helped that too. Maybe, Scott, you'd want to speak to that. Yeah, well, it's obviously been an enormous amount of communication um, in, in recent times. You know, it feels, feels like we've run in a circle um, for the last three months. We're sort of back to almost where we were. Um, it's been a very exhausting circle, but I mean, the, the level of communication that certainly Frank was, um, had, had organised early on just to, for, for the collective um, energy of, of all of the um, Commodores and general managers to just, just to share thoughts and concerns and experiences and learn from others. And I had a number of offline conversations with, with clubs, you know, calling me, asking me, um, you know, what we were doing and, and um, you know, I would do the same. And it, just, it certainly helped the collective, you know, navigate our way through it for sure. Yeah, 
Yeah, well done. And um, if I could uh, throw a shout out to our Commodore too. I mean, what, what a tough situation he, he was in. <laughs> yes, thank you, Mike. Uh, you know, our Commodore definitely deserves a shout out, not just because he's my boss, but uh, no, he, he's, uh, he's been instrumental through this as well. Um, talk us through uh, selling the province and where you see us moving to next. Uh, okay, so I'm very optimistic, actually, as we're coming out the backside of this uh, pandemic thing, and uh, hopefully we'll go back to life as we see it, um, or used to experience what I mean. Um, I'm kind of concerned with the future of ocean racing, mainly with us. Um, you know, we've got some, uh, you know, we've got a major ocean racing program actually happening here in the province with uh, Chris Stan, more major, and uh, Spartan Racing. Uh, but, um, you know, now we're kind of, with the St. Pierre race uh, got postponed this year, I think they're going to postpone that into next year, which is going to be the same as the Marblehead race. So I don't know how that's going to go. They're separate events though. Um, but I'm, I'm very optimistic, but you know, ocean racing is, uh, it's such a great element of our sport. And um, I hope that people keep in mind uh, that, you know, it's another level of our sport that you can explore and have fun with. It's been great for me. Um, it's taken me all over the world, basically into um, you know, all kinds of fun and crazy races. And uh, it, it's a, it's another realm of sport that people should enjoy. It's yeah, certainly a common theme across guests that we've had um, on the program, you know, talking about, you know, all the different levels of experience that sailing can bring you, you know, there's inshore, offshore, there's racing, there's cruising, and they're, they're all equally important. And I guess everyone has their own sort of um, take on the sport or their own uh, like attachment to it. And I guess it's, it's important for, for people to find what that is. Yeah. Yeah. No question. And, you know, um, Mikhail, your father and I had a great uh, time on a really fantastic ocean boat. Uh, I guess it was two years ago now, with the uh, when Hugo Boss came through uh, Halifax Harbor. Yes, I remember. Yeah, yeah you're on board there too. Yeah, barely. Yeah, what a, what <laughs> we a ride! Going that so fast. So, oh, that was just crazy, just crazy. Uh, but you know what? It taught me something though about my own limitations because I was looking at this boat and we're flying along doing you know thirty odd knots, and I, I learned later in a podcast uh, with uh, North Sales, actually, uh, that um, those boats really have a, a speed limit. They, they really don't want them going faster than 30 or so because the, uh, uh, the rough ride that they got. And I, you would have felt that, Mikhail, when that thing went over 30 knots or so, you could feel the bumpiness. And it was a pretty flat water day, generally, right? It, and, yeah. Uh, and I couldn't, I couldn't imagine being out in that thing in the North Atlantic, scooting along at 30 knots, banging it, banging it, banging it for, you know, 14 days straight. It just showed me again, um, you know, what superb athletes those guys are, like Alex Thompson. Uh, I, I just, you know, incredible, incredible. Oh, I was very sore the next, like, three days because of just having to brace myself. Uh, the balance that you need to be on board uh, is something that I don't, I don't uh, think about a lot until I'm back on a boat. <laughs> Yeah, yeah yeah actually the funniest part about that was i had the radio that day and uh because you know I, I could talk to halifax traffic like anybody else around here and i called him up and i said yeah hey halifax traffic uh, this is us uh, we're a sailboat we're just going out for a harbor tour so sure enough we come screaming back into the harbor doing that 30 knots thing halifax traffic literally called me up and said uh hey there uh just check with you are you sure you're a sailboat <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they knew exactly who we were, but they were just having fun with us. Yeah, that was a great experience for the club, absolutely. Yeah, and I'd like to see more of it come our way. Agree, absolutely agree. Well, Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. I know Scott and I have learned a lot about you and some of your experience, and we hope you had a good time with us as well. 
Oh, yeah. No, this has been great. Uh, thank you very much for having me today and um, all the best. Keep racing. Thanks, Mike. You're, um, I'll send you the invoice. It's, uh, it's good for one ride in a Sea King. <laughs> so if you could just organize that at your earliest convenience, that would be much appreciated. Oh, yeah. Anytime. Happy to help. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Anytime. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. That's our show for today. But before we go, we want to introduce next week's guest. There's been a bit of a shift at the table, and my co-host is now Commodore Sean McDermott. You've probably guessed it. Our next guest will be the club's general manager, Scott King. An episode not to be missed, and also the bookend episode for season one. If you've missed an episode or you'd like to go back and to re-listen to them all, you're welcome to do so on the Anchor Podcast or on Spotify by searching the Squadron's Pirate Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.